Real amateur hour. All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the DC Podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Russell. We're back talking about the prosperity gospel. That's right. And I had, uh, for the first time that I can remember, mm. I had some people message me and actually say, hey guys, when are you going to get that next episode on the prosperity gospel up where I can listen? Get on it. Yeah, so this last one we did was uh, pretty popular. Yeah, and we just... We, what do we do? We, do we define the prosperity gospel? No, we, we kind of talked around the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement as a concept, uh, described it generally. Yeah. Cause it's really hard to define. We said really, this is how you can recognize it. Yeah. We right? get, we gave, uh, we give like the field guide on identifying yeah. poisonous mushrooms. Oh, okay. <laughs> In the form of theology. That's good. Uh, and it was, it was helpful to a lot of people. And I think, uh, it was so popular because so many people know someone yeah. or have personally been influenced by this false theology. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the history of the prosperity gospel. That's right. So I like to borrow a little bit of an illustration from Robert Bowman, who is the author of the book we recommended last time, The Word of Faith Controversy. Mm. He talks about the roots, the shoots, and the fruits of a theology. Yeah. So the shoots uh, are the doctrine the fruit is kind of how that doctrine manifests itself in the lives of the people who believe it and teach it. Yep. The roots are the source of that doctrine. Yeah. So the historical origins, the, the theological and ideological origins of a system yeah. would be the roots. That's where we're going to focus today. Now, there's a danger in doing this and focusing on the history of an idea. That's right. What is it? Uh, well, similar to when we talked about the history of the concept of social justice, mm -hmm. and we talked about some of the socialist underpinnings of that that term and the ideology that's behind it. We want to be careful not to commit what is known as the genetic fallacy. Yeah. And we all know what that is for sure. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but JD here, JD Thorne, pastor, Point Mallet Parkway Baptist Church, who's uh, visiting us, he doesn't know what He's it is. He's too scared to ask at this point. Fallacy. Yeah. What is that? So the genetic fallacy is when you dismiss or reject an idea as false simply mm. because of where it comes from. Right. So if you say X theology can't be true because it came from this person and we, we know he had some bad ideas. Right. That's not a sound rejection of that argument. Calvin executed Servetus. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's to say that an argument or a theology or a system of, of doctrines can't be correct or should be dismissed sure. because of the sources that it's associated with yeah. or was influenced by. And that's that's just not sound reasoning. Right. So with that warning in mind, with that caution right here, right? Yep. Uh, what what why do we then need to study the history of the prosperity gospel? So it's still important to understand the sources behind ideas. I think in this case for two reasons. Uh, the big one is when you understand the the influences and the sources that, that serve as the roots of a theology, yeah. it makes it a lot easier to identify fundamentally what's wrong. Okay. What is the problem? Uh, and, and a big part of that is because, as we said in our last episode, heresies repeat themselves. Yeah. So if we get to the core of something and find out, oh, it was influenced strongly by this person right. who's believed this heresy, right. now we can trace that heresy all the way up to modern times yeah. and see manifestations of it that just use different words. That's right. We can, we can identify it. We can deal with it much more simply. Gotcha. Second, uh, in this particular instance, I think it's important because this study of history uh, refutes many of the claims of Word of Faith teachers today that their teaching is direct revelation from God. Right. So Kenneth Hagin. Yeah. Good example. God told him this message specifically in him alone. That's right. And, yeah. and when we look closely at that, 
yeah. and study our history, it turns out that a great deal of what he claimed to be revelation from God, he actually plagiarized right. from other teachers who were influenced by non-Christian thought. Right. And so when we uncover <coughs> that, we not only do we better understand his teaching, but we've refuted his claim that it's from God. Yeah, that's right. And and that's a big part of the Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel movement is everyone claims to have a special direct revelation from God that nobody else has. And it's really, no, you're just you're just vomiting up the same heresy that people have been saying for a couple hundred years. That's right. So yeah. let's let's talk about how we got there. How we got where? To today. Oh, okay. Yeah. What what is the what is the history of this movie? Yeah. So before we do that, we need to come back around and, and really try to actually put a definition on it. So last last episode we said we weren't gonna try to define it. We were just gonna kind of look at the essence of it so that we can identify it. Identifying characteristics. Right. Yeah. But it's hard to define. It's kind of like the Voltron of heresies. It, it combines so much weird stuff. But uh, I think the, the, the main four themes that you can see in the prosperity gospel are faith and uh, a, a redefinition of faith and how it's used to accomplish certain things. Wealth and health. Okay. And an that, emphasis on that. And a strong emphasis on that. Happiness and victory. Okay. So how did the gospel of... Uh, God sent his son Christ to die for you on the cross to save you from your sins and reconcile you back to himself, turn into a gospel that is focused on health, wealth, happiness, and victory, and faith being the thing that is used to accomplish those things. Got it. Okay. Uh, now, before we even move into the history, I need to kind of give you my little, what I think is a fantastic illustration of, of how, how we should think about this, and we'll see if I can pull it off. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the concrete outside, was it concrete or cement? See what we're doing here? Cement outside in the sidewalk, right? I have no idea. Okay. Well, you need a couple of different things in order to make that. You need rock mm -hmm. of various sizes. In fact, you need sand, you need water, you need cement or the gray stuff that you actually pour into it or concrete, whatever it is. And then if it's going to be structurally sound, you usually need wire or some kind of like rebar. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you try to walk on top of cement after it's all been mixed together and set and put there in its place too soon, it'll break. Okay. It'll, it'll be too brittle. What needs to happen is, is it needs to cure. Mm. Okay. It, it needs time to set before you can move on it. And so I think with the prosperity gospel, what we have is you have a little bit of this, a, you have Pentecostalism, you have the mind power, new thought, positive thinking movement, you have pragmatism, you need financial flourishing in the land where this theology is growing up. And then you need about a good 30 to 50 years for it to just kind of set, for the sun to bake it in and to make it solid. Hmm. Okay, so that's kind of going to be the, the way that we approach this. Okay, so you, you mentioned a couple things there. Okay. Uh, Pentecostalism. Yeah. Do you want to define that? Uh, a belief that the spirit uh, does more than indwell you with the spirit and seal you and give you the, all the kind of classical roles that the Holy Spirit does. It also is meant to give you a special kind of power. Right. right? Which is typically, Pentecostal would say, is manifested in the speaking of speaking tongues. Speaking of tongues is how you know that you've got that special power. Okay. And also, it, another thing that's hard to define historically. Very, very much so. Okay. Yeah. But we, we kind of know it when we see it. Yeah, that's right. And right. we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But just for now, you should know, know that uh, Pentecostalism is the theology that allowed uh, the prosperity gospel to breathe. Hmm. Right. It allowed it to thrive. Okay. Right? Um, this idea that there's some extra experiential part of Christianity uh, that goes along with your sanctification mm -hmm. is is the kind of root idea that all this other stuff grows it, it out. It was of. fertile soil for these other ideas yeah. to then create the prosperity. Absolutely. Gospel. Okay. 
another aspect that we should talk about is Methodism. Hmm. Okay. Method. Method. Methodism. Ism. Now, if you break down the M, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, one of the things that almost nobody talks about in the prosperity gospel word of faith movement is Methodism. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember Methodism? It grew out of uh, a, a frustration in the Anglican Church, the the Church of England. You know, there was a there was a group of men who were wanting more piety, more holiness, and they weren't seeing it. And because the the polity structures in the church were so terrible, you couldn't elicit any change. And uh, the people who were pushing for more piety and more, more holiness, like Whitfield and John Wesley, they were kind of getting shut down by those above them. So what did they do? They took to the fields, yep. right? They went out and they just started preaching in, in, in towns and, you know, thousands of people There's would come dangerous, out. Dangerous, unlicensed preachers. Dangerous, unlicensed preachers. And if you look at the first great awakening, it seems like there was a lot of great fruit that came out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at everything else that happened after the great awakening, it looks like it probably did more harm than good in so many different ways. You can't even really begin to count them. And the history of this movement in a nutshell is you have this the birth of the itinerant preacher. Yeah. And you have a focus on the revival. Yeah. Which we would say in the first great awakening was a movement. It wasn't really a focus on that. It wasn't. It was, no. a, it was a movement of the spirit of God and converting people everywhere yeah. in the West. And then everything after that was an attempt to recreate, to reverse That's engineer right. the conditions of the first great awakening. That's right. By manipulating situations and emotions and yeah. and just basically trying to create false movements of the spirit by the by the hand of men that's right and if you want to read more about that get ian murray's revival and revivalism nothing better out there on that mm -hmm. so now you have these these itinerant preachers these roving band of evangelists and, and it's not like this has never existed in the church before uh but even when it did exist, like in the early church with people like Montanus, if you've never heard the name, he was probably the first heretical Pentecostal. He and a, grand, uh, a band of a few ladies would go around claiming to have direct revelation from God outside of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And the church sort of universally came together and condemned him, okay? <clears throat> but he was one of those. But then for a very long time, you just didn't see that in the church. And when you did see it, it was always heresy, okay? So... It was in these traveling road shows. Men come to town, they pitch their tents, there's a big meeting, that the prosperity gospel was really able to thrive because there was no accountability. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't connected to the church in any way. And even when it was, it was only tangentially so. Uh, our Presbyterians would fr friends would say like, man, there needs to be way more accountability. But even as Baptists who are autonomous and congregational, we would look and we would say, there's whatever happens in this itinerant ministry has to be connected to the local church in some way. That's right. Because if not, any Joe Schmo can just go out there and, and preach whatever he wants, and who's going to say anything about it? Mm -hmm. There's no congregation there to hold him accountable. You know, you look in Galatians, and Paul says, this person who came preaching this false gospel in your church, you should have kicked him out. But when there's no congregation, when it's 5,000 people from 100 different congregations who come together, well, there's nobody who the apostle can point to and say, you need to kick this guy out. That's right. Right. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the first phase. Anything on that? No, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm accumulating the, the conditions for this perfect storm now. Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism. Methodism. Methodism, this itinerant preacher ex, who's expecting and trying to create these spiritual experiences, yeah. um, emotional manipulation, yeah. crowd gathering with yep. no accountability yep. from a local congregation or church. That's right. Okay. Okay. The next is the Gilded Age. Mm. The Gilded Age. So this was about a 30-year period after the Civil War. 
And uh, one of the main characteristics of the Gilded Age was there was an extreme focus on self-improvement, self-mastery, self-empowerment, right? It was the age where you saw growth in things like gymnasiums, where people are going and, you know, those old-timey workout videos where the guy's twisting the med ball back and forth and he's doing his gymnastics and, you know, all that. Well, th this is the age that that grew up in. This is the Teddy Roosevelt era. That's, yeah, carry a big stick and something, something, this something. This is men should challenge themselves physically sharpen themselves mentally yes. and it's all about personal yes uh mastery essentially yeah <clears throat> you know it used to be if you were uh mechanically inclined you know you would you would be um what you train under somebody what's that called an apprenticeship right, right well you know, you'd have to do that for 10 15 20 years and then you could open your own spot so on and so forth well now out comes popular mechanics and now you, as you're learning how to improve yourself, you can do mechanics at home. So that truck you got out there where you spray painted it yourself, and it actually looks truck. pretty good. It was born out of this kind of stuff from the Gilded Age. You even mm -hmm. have personal sewing machines, whereas before everything happened in textile mills, right? And in these massive factories. Well, now, you know, the wife is able to sit at home and do it herself because she's learning. And so it's a lot of focus on the individual. Also, during the Gilded Age, there was a lot of scientific advancement. So you have things like the discovery of the germ by Louis Pasteur. You have things like Joseph Lister discovering and uh, inventing antiseptic technique in light of the germ theory. And so what's happening is people who uh, have never really thought about the invisible world in ways that are other than spiritual are now beginning to think about the reality of things that can exist that you cannot see. Right. Alexander Graham Bell invents the telephone around the same time exactly my speech can travel invisibly across the country exactly that's that's a, a huge i mean we we take that for granted yeah. that is a huge yeah reality that that could even be possible absolutely and so now you have these things that people go huh before it was just the wind right you know i can't see the wind but i know it exists but now you have everything you have you know the sound you have germs and so people are starting to make connections between this physical world and the invisible mm. physical world okay you also have certain things coming up in uh in uh philosophy like neoplatonic theories of correspondence which mm. we're not going to get into but just so you know there's like a bubble in the philosophical world where people are thinking about how this thing corresponds to this thing and how we can draw that connection right uh, you can see how that would feed into my faith mm. corresponding to the physical world and being able to bring about blessings. Right. So the, the Neoplatonic philosophy essentially said that there is a thing called virtue out there. There is a thing mm. called goodness, and it exists in reality yeah. objectively. But because this is not Christian thought, it's completely separated from the the idea that it exists in the nature of God. Yeah, It's these vague ideas that are really existing in some material some metaphysical way sure 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 um, and so let's let's go back through this perfect storm now okay so we have to start off pentecostalism yep we have the methodism yep we have the the uh, the birth of the self the self-help essentially yeah. the self-mastery that's right uh, we have technological and scientific innovations that are leading people to look past what's what's their sensory perception allows them to see to yeah. other forms of reality. Yep. Uh, and then we have some philosophical ideas that point to virtue uh, separate from creator. Yeah, and it's and really I want to focus that that the 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 key aspect of that philosophical development is that there's some kind of correspondence that you can actually tap into. Right. And so it's not just out there in the cloud, mm -hmm. unac inaccessible to you you can now somehow connect to it. That's right. Okay. Um, and so all of that creates this perfect storm for what we would call the mind power.
power, positive thinking, new thought phenomenon, which basically takes it's, over America. It's a metaphysical cult. It's a metaphysical cult. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, we're going to have to save the second half of this for the next episode yep. because we're already at like 17 minutes. Mm. But before we move on, when we were preparing for this episode, you wanted to make the point that as much of uh, the prosperity gospel, although a lot of it is part of this metaphysical, spiritualism, cultish stuff, uh, it also just could not have grown up without the prosperity gospel. I mean, without the uh, without Pentecostal theology. That's right. Hey, you say that in a way that's more articulate than what I just said. Yeah, essentially, you will find... I, I want to be careful when we talk about Pentecostalism here. Okay. Some of the early, sharp, harsh critics of word of faith theology we're Pentecostals, we're Pentecostals. Yeah. some of the most like die hard this is heresy <coughs> get it out of here guys <coughs> right. uh, I think of like uh, Daniel McConnell was I, I believe in 1982 he wrote a a just like crushing thesis on how the word of faith theology was essentially this metaphysical cult sneaking into Pentecostalism yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's a lot of that critique is is really useful yeah however I think a lot of that is an attempt by Pentecostals to try and distance their own theology from mm, what, right. what is word of faith teaching. Yeah. So yes, this metaphysical cultic influence is there yeah. in a lot of the founders of this theology, yeah. but we can't put it all on that. There no. is There are essential components of Pentecostal belief, uh, everything from the holiness movement that came out of Wesley and the Methodists right. to the, the Keswick theology, yeah. which is another branch of that holiness movement. Yeah. That the higher life theology, mm -hmm. higher living, which influenced the everyone from the Keswick School all the way down to uh, Dwight it, Moody to and Dallas Seminary. I mean, it influenced everybody. Right. It's yeah. so you can see the tendrils of this stuff sure. going out. Well, those tendrils were essential to the development of Word of Faith. Yeah. And we we would almost say it's just kind of the worst form of Pentecostalism. Yeah. Heavily influenced by this metaphysical cultic belief. Yeah. But we can't pin it all on that. No, no. It really is Pentecostalism that just happened to encounter the perfect storm in new thought, right? Mm -hmm. You take Pentecostalism for all of its issues and then you put it into a world where new thought is in the air. Yes. And then it's just a ripe environment for it to grow up. I think one of the best ways to kind of put a uh, or to to put a bow on this is to just point out that you don't ever see word of faith or prosperity gospel theology in cessationist churches. That's right. Or non-Pentecostal churches. Mm -hmm. You will always find the two together. That's right. So uh, that's all we got for this episode. Yep. Uh, tune back in for the rest of the history of this uh, in the next episode. That's right. We're going to give you a book recommendation at the end of the next episode as well. Once we kind of tie this all up and put a bow on it. Yep. All right. That's it. Yep. Thanks for listening. Catch us next time.